You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. People every weekend. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Our neighborhood series continues in just a moment, but we begin with breaking news and a new development in a dramatic hit-and-run crash last week where a mother of four was left to die. The woman was a passenger in an SUV that collided with a highway maintenance truck. 35-year-old Danielle Charlton was killed, and her family says her boyfriend, the driver of the vehicle, ran away as she lay dying. Global's Tanya Beja is in our newsroom with the latest on this story. Tanya, the police now have a suspect in custody. Well, Sophie, RCMP confirmed that the sole suspect in that hit and run was arrested this week near Revelstoke. Around 9.45 Wednesday morning, officers say they spotted Anthony Creed Cortez riding a stolen motorcycle on the Trans-Canada Highway. Uh, police set up a road check. He somehow evaded them, but they found the motorcycle abandoned in Albert Canyon. Cortez was then arrested while allegedly trying to break into a resort cabin in the area. Now, the arrest comes nine days after the fatal crash near Hope. Danielle Charlton and her boyfriend, Cortez, were driving in a stolen SUV when they collided with a maintenance truck. Witnesses, including off-duty firefighters, tried to save Charlton, but she died at the scene. The driver of the SUV fled in a pickup truck that was stolen from one of the Good Samaritans who had stopped to help. Now, Cortez has not been charged in relation to that crash, but he faces several charges in Revelstoke, including assaulting a police officer, obstructing a police officer, dangerous operation of a motor vehicle, and possession of stolen property over $5,000. Sophie and Chris, back to you. All right, Tanya Beige reporting. Tanya, thank you. All right, now let's get to one of the big issues that affect where we live here on the North Shore. Traffic congestion is a hot topic. Getting on and off and around the area is a constant source of frustration. And a development boom is making a tough situation even worse. Aaron MacArthur joins us with some potential solutions. Aaron. Yeah, Chris, sorry, it's kind of loud here on the highway. Uh, thanks for that. The solutions to the problem are really straightforward. More capacity on the bridges and more rapid transit. The problem is there isn't money for either. Downtown is so close and yet so far away. You could take the second Narrows. Bad choice. How about the Lions Gate? Yeah, that's worse. Congestion on North Shore bridges has gotten so bad, people here take it as a fact of life. It's just two ways to go. You just have to try to be... I don't know. I don't know how people do it. It's actually easier to park the car and, and walk or pedal. In 1960, there were nine lanes of traffic to and from the North Shore. 57 years later, still nine lanes, and there are no more coming. A third crossing for vehicles simply isn't feasible. According to the mayor of the city of North Vancouver, the solution is rapid transit under the water. What I think is a future that people don't want to hear is going to be a much bigger, much more enhanced public transportation service so that people don't need their cars to use every day across the bridges. There have been cries about congestion since the 1950s and plenty of solutions for a third crossing as well. Everything from bridges and tunnels to gondolas have been proposed. Historians say once the plans for a downtown freeway infrastructure stalled, so did the third crossing. I think the North Shore was kind of an afterthought. The third crossing seemed like a good idea and that would connect the Barad Bridge to um, the, the new third crossing bridge. With rapid transit decades away, 
The simplest solution might really speed things up. Bring in more buses. Um, I would say it's time to invest in those bus lanes and uh, the signal priority so that uh, the transit is actually faster. Um, and you can get the, the congestion relief. The status quo isn't working. And with population growth expected on both sides of the water, this is only going to get worse. You know, one of the quirky things about traffic to and from the North Shore is more people go to the North Shore in the mornings and then come back in the afternoons. It operates backwards of most bridges in the region. That is giving traffic planners a real headache in trying to solve some of this congestion in the short term. Chris, Sophie, back to you. No doubt. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Well, this weekend will be a test of traffic volume in and around downtown Vancouver. A record number of cruise ship passengers will be in town. And as the industry expands, there's growing concern about the number and the size of the ships that are coming into port. Jennifer Palma joins us to explain why it's becoming a tight squeeze. Jen. Well, here's the main problem, the Lionsgate Bridge. Take a look at it. It looks like it would be tall enough for today's super ships to get under, but apparently that's not the case. The Celebrity Solstice, definitely a large cruise ship, but not the largest out there. In fact, the medium-sized ship is among the maximum size that can fit under the Lionsgate Bridge, which has a clearance height of 61 meters below the deck. This particular ship has a mass that comes down, the bridge's height is causing concern for some members of the cruise industry seeing dollars float down south. In Seattle, they have the Explorer of the Seas, which is larger than the Solstice, and the Explorer simply couldn't come to Vancouver, but it can go to Seattle. And on the order book, you can see that there's many much larger ships uh, being built right now, and those will become uh, into the marketplace looking for a port to call home. And it would be nice if Vancouver could be that home. The port of Metro Vancouver saw a 3% growth this year, welcoming 840,000 passengers, but it knows ships are being built bigger, and the Lion's Gate is an obstacle. You may even consider a new terminal, a new site. We, um, we are working with a consultant to look at um, the feasibility of building another, well, to determine a location for a potential uh, terminal. The cruise ship industry is worth more than $2 billion to the province, each ship bringing in $3 million to the local economy. Numbers Tourism Vancouver doesn't want to see go down. Well, I think we would be completely open-minded to anything that offered uh, the opportunity for the industry to grow. Where a new cruise ship terminal could be built is unknown, but Delta may be a good candidate. Worldwide, many ports are far from big cities. All that's needed is transportation. So that sounds to me like maybe a, a, a SkyTrain might be a good idea or a light rail right. over maybe a new bridge here. As for when the port will make a decision as to where a terminal may end up, that remains to be seen. No date, of course, has been set, and no doubt a lot of discussion will take place before then. Back to you. Jennifer Ballmer reporting tonight for us. Jen, thank you. And another traffic note for drivers in Surrey. An aging relic of the past that is still in use is closed for repairs right now. Crews are working on the one-lane Bailey Bridge that crosses the Nicomechal River on King George Boulevard. The work will continue until mid-next week, after which vehicles will be limited to less than 5,000 kilograms. The nearby two-lane bridge on King George Boulevard remains open.
Another brutal reminder tonight that gang violence is not limited to Metro Vancouver. Gunfire rang out last night in a quiet Kamloops neighborhood, leaving the co-founder of one of BC's most prominent gangs dead in the street. Paul Johnson reports. All of a sudden there was these here uh, four or five boom, boom, boom. Fred Trestain's home was so close to last night's murder, he could literally smell the gunpowder. Some fellow... Uh, was uh, limping and uh, he says, uh, call, call the ambulance, uh, he's shot, he's dying. By the time first responders got to this quiet street in Kamloops, 34-year-old Konam Shirzad was dead, another man wounded, and blocks away a possible getaway car sat smoldering. All the signs of a gang hit. And when the body was ID'd, there was little surprise. This individual has a long history, and it caught up with him. Shurzad was a co-founder of the Red Scorpions gang, which reached its peak of infamy with the activities of the Bacon Brothers, one of whom was murdered, another accused in the Surrey Six murders of 2007. While Shurzad's role in that gang is thought to have been eclipsed by the Bacons, trouble still followed him to Kamloops, where earlier this year, heavily armed police raided the gym he owned there. Konam Shurzad belonged to the Red Scorpions organized crime group, and because of his ties to this group, we believe that it was targeted. Dead gangsters and torched getaway cars match the pattern of violence that's menaced communities in the Lower Mainland in recent weeks raising the question of whether the Shurzad hit will trigger a cycle of retaliation. Former police chief and politician Cash Heed thinks this one won't. Well, I don't believe it's uh, connected to what we're experiencing here in Metro Vancouver with the ongoing gang violence due to some of the uh, ethnic gangs here. But even if B.C.'s latest gangland murder ends up as a one-off, when thugs come and shoot up your neighborhood, even one is too much. You know, I hate to say this, but this is the way the world is going. You know, sad, but true. Paul Johnson, Global News. A hope man who was caught on video spewing racial slurs at an Abbotsford lawyer has pleaded guilty to assault. Are you a Hindu? When did you come to Canada? When did you come to Canada? 48-year-old Kerry Corbett was charged after he was caught on cell phone video hurling insults at a South Asian man who'd begun to videotape Corbett's confrontation with a parking attendant. The video went viral and it got international attention. Corbett will be sentenced next month. Some new developments tonight in that tragic hit-and-run crash in Maple Ridge last week that killed a mother and grandmother. As Jill Bennett reports tonight, police have found the vehicle involved and the victim's family is once again asking the driver to do the right thing. Yeah, these are the lilies that I brought out. Robert Jaglum has put up this memorial to remember his mother, 48-year-old Laura Wojcician. During this hard time, I've just had to stand up and take care of what needs to be taken care of because that's what she built me to do. Wojcician was an avid motorcyclist, riding for almost 20 years. On September 14th, she was traveling with some fellow riders on the Lougheed Highway when she was hit head-on by an oncoming car. It appeared to be passing someone eastbound. RCMP have now released more information about the vehicle they recovered shortly after the crash, but they're now looking for witnesses. We recovered a 2003 Pontiac Sunfire, gray in color. And um, this was at um, 8.40 p.m. on the 14th September. 
around the 27800 block of Louis Highway. We're looking for evidence such as dash cam video that will determine or show the vehicle before and after the accident. Police say there was some damage to the car, but they aren't saying anything about the registered owner. For the family, not knowing who hit their loved one and then took off makes moving on from the loss difficult. They're hoping the driver comes forward. My message would just be look in your heart. Know that uh, if this was your family member and you would, I'm sure that you'd want that closure just to get all those pieces and put it all together and just put a final to, to the tragic incident. Just put it all behind everybody. The stretch of low heat is known for speeding. There have been crashes here before. While Jeglum wants answers, he's also hoping to prevent this from happening again so others don't lose a loving mother, grandmother, and friend. Slow down, live a little longer, you know, maybe save a life. Anyone who saw the Grey Pontiac Sunfire on September 14th or has any information about the hit and run is asked to contact Ridge Meadows RCMP or Crime Stoppers. Jill Bennett, Global News. Beautiful photos. Uber is about to be driven right out of its biggest market. The ride-sharing company has 40,000 drivers in London, and most customers seem to love it, but its license to operate will not be renewed at the end of September. Why it's being banned and what that means for the company's chances here in Vancouver in just over a minute. If they can't control the test, they kill thousands of people. So much for diplomacy, the increasing war of words between U.S. President Trump and his North Korean adversary, trading epic insults. And a dramatic rescue off the coast of Puerto Rico coming up. Boaters who rode out the hurricane and the conditions they survived on the open seas later on the news hour. And it is great to have you with us tonight. The news hour, live from the shipyards in North Vancouver. The crowd building here for this Friday night, enjoying it all on this first evening of fall. Mm -hmm. And a lovely one it is so far. Well, Attorney General David Eby says the previous Liberal government buried a report that looked into possible money laundering at BC casinos. He released that report today, saying it should have been made public last year when it was completed. The report was ordered after evidence of possible suspicious cash transactions at BC gaming facilities, and it recommends a number of reforms. Concerns that were raised by uh, this group that went in and did a review, uh, issues in relation to training of staff, issues in relation to uh, suspicious cash transactions that should have been reported but may not have been reported, uh, and uh, an overall uh, tone of the report uh, that much more needed to be done. And that's certainly uh, not the impression that I had when dealing with the previous minister on the file. EB now plans to appoint an independent expert to review the matter. Uber has just been kicked to the curb in its biggest market. London has said it will not renew the ride-sharing company's license to operate. Nadia Stewart explains why and what it could mean for the future of Uber in Metro Vancouver. An Uber driver in London for three years, Tariq Chowdhury, is quick to upsell its advantages. It's safe, there's no money involved, there's no dispute over fare, you can trace the fare. Those features might sway customers, but weren't enough to convince Transport for London, the bustling UK city's transportation authority. TfL saying Uber isn't fit to operate there. TfL have concluded today uh, that Uber aren't a fit and proper private vehicle operator. 
the real concerns around safety and uh, security. More specifically, allegations Uber failed to report an accusation of sexual assault against a driver, concerns over how medical and criminal checks are done, and Uber's explanation of the use of Grayball, software that could be used to fool regulatory bodies. As a kind of problematic corporate citizen, that's likely a big factor towards why Uber was kicked out of London. SFU's Andy Yan says Uber's ousting should not go unnoticed in B.C. This is the latest setback for a scandal-plagued company. We do everything we can to get as many cars on the system as possible. Whose CEO was recently forced out. Yan says it's important now to make the distinction between Uber and ride-sharing sending a message to similar companies. Uber is kind of like the Kleenex of rideshare. The issues about transparency, about safety, about accountability, it it really will help determine your social license as well as, frankly, your your, your regulatory license towards being a business in in the region. A Ministry of Transportation spokesperson says talks about the future of ridesharing in B.C. are ongoing. As for Uber, it's launched an online petition and plans to appeal TFL's decision. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Well, Uber's status in Metro Vancouver may not be clear yet, but ride-sharing is part of the Translic Chief's vision for the future here. The public is, is demanding that. The public is going to choose. Kevin Desmond maps out his hopes for mobility in Metro Vancouver. Up next. And inspiring and motivating wounded soldiers, Prince Harry in Toronto. Setting the stage for the Invictus game, still to come. Well, part of our focus on where we live over the past couple of weeks has been on transportation. And there is one man who has the job of peering into the future to prepare for it right here in Metro Vancouver. Kevin Desmond is his name. He is the CEO of TransLink. I had a chance to sit down with him to talk about his first 18 months here in Metro Vancouver and how he envisions the road ahead for mobility in this region. What I've learned is this region has an insatiable desire to address and hopefully solve transportation challenges. And this is a region that really believes in its quality of life. BC is a place to be. It's a beautiful place to be. They love living here, so there's a great deal of interest in maintaining the quality of life. And how you get around your mobility is a big, big part of that quality of life. Is it all about transit or are there, I mean, there are other components, transit obviously being a big part of it, but what are the other? Mobility is everything. You know, I, I truly, you know, my mantra is how do we increase the capacity of a constrained overall transportation network? And to me, that's an all-in exercise. How do we increase capacity on SkyTrain? How do we get more people on the SkyTrain system? But also, how do we, how do we provide more space on the roadways? People are going to have to drive. We're not suggesting, I don't think, that we can eliminate a single occupant vehicle. The more people we can encourage to take another way to get around means there's more space on the road for cars. There's more space on the road for a very, very important freight movement. What does it mean to have ride sharing and, and, and bike sharing? We should be part of that conversation. We should find ways to make a particular type of way getting around as convenient for you for your particular choice for your particular trip in a day. So would you work with like the Evos of the world, the car, car to go um, services or like the Ubers or Lyfts of yes. the world? All, yeah, all of them. You know, we, uh, if and when something like Uber and Lyft come here, and that's, you know, it's an issue that's uh, somewhat outside of our control. Um, 
my view is we have to understand how to embrace that. If we do it right in an urban area, those types of services can increase overall mobility um, options for folks. And people increasingly then won't need to own a car. They'll have a compass card in their pocket. They'll have an app for their ride sharing. They'll have an app for their, their bike share. And on any given trip, they will optimize the way to get around. The vision, I think, is all, an all-in-one app. Imagine that. Where you can go online or you can go to your app and say, I'm going from point A from, uh, if I'm living in Port Moody and I want to get downtown and maybe um, get over to North Vancouver for, uh, for dinner later in the evening after work, what's the best way for me to get around on that particular um, trip and what's the cheapest way? Or what's the optimal way to pay for it? We're not trying to force you into something that's inconvenient. We're not trying to force someone to say, well, it's better for you to take transit even though it takes you two and a half times longer than to drive alone. My vision is when they're, when they're presented with a choice, you know, that, that from a competitive standpoint, well, today I can take transit or I can car share, and it takes just about the same amount of time as it does to drive, whereas tomorrow I need to drive because I have to do X, Y, and Z in addition. Those are the types of choices that I think citizens here need and deserve. So we had to boil down what was like a 20-minute interview into three minutes right, yeah. for the broadcast, but yeah. uh, we have an extended mix. The oh, director's right. cut. Is that online? The director's cut online. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> He's got a lot of uh, of ideas, and it's definitely a big uh, big job ahead. Yeah. Well, there's one out of the four of us who has to deal with those two bridges yep. every single day, and that's Christy. This is your hometown, and right. uh, yeah, I know it can be frustrating sometimes. It can. I, sometimes I feel like we're on an island a little bit at yeah. t- just certain times of the day. And uh, that's always the times when I need to get somewhere, of course. But, yeah. uh, you know, what a way to be kicking off fall here yeah, down at the shipyard. Yeah, first day of fall. Yeah, great day. Uh, you know, we tallied the numbers, though, and you don't need the numbers to tell you, but we were the driest on record at YVR. They only reported 27 millimeters of rain, and I have more numbers of it from the interior when I come back. That was for summer, the driest. All summer. Wow. Yeah, did I not yeah. say that? Sorry, yeah, for driest summer. summer. All right. Yeah. We'll be uh, back with more from the sports department, too. Well, you know, everything's going on. Uh, Canucks are, uh, one Canuck team is in China. They'll play, I think, just after midnight tomorrow. Mm-hmm. The young guys are in Edmonton. And uh, Lions Night will talk about the uh, Whitecaps' great first-round draft pick this year. Sounds good. All coming up. Okay, good. Thanks, Squire. Also, rare victories for rescuers in Mexico. ¡Está viva! Still pulling people from the rubble, but time is quickly running out. Also ahead, a new low in diplomatic relations. Is the war of words between the U.S. and North Korea doing more harm than good? Newly released video shows a British Royal Navy helicopter rescuing three members of a family stranded on top of their capsized vessel after Hurricane Maria. They reported losing power in 20-foot waves and 140-kilometer-an-hour winds. A man on board died, but a woman and her two children survived and were rescued. Across Mexico, the desperate search for survivors is running up against the clock. It's now been more than 72 hours since that 7.1 earthquake hit. A woman is among the estimated 100 people pulled alive from underneath the rubble of collapsed buildings since Tuesday. Crews are not giving up, still working relentlessly to find anyone still buried. At least 293 people are now confirmed dead. 
The war of words between North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un and U.S. President Donald Trump has now become personal. North Korea is threatening to test another hydrogen bomb over the Pacific, and both leaders are unloading on each other, trading some colorful insults. President Trump prompting a new level of brinksmanship with North Korea today, tweeting Kim Jong-un of North Korea, who is obviously a madman who doesn't mind starving or killing his people, will be tested like never before. It's the latest in a series of potentially dangerous verbal volleys. Rocket man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. Last night, North Korea's leader took aim at the president personally, warning, I will surely and definitely tame the mentally deranged U.S. dotard with fire. Dotard, a disparaging term for a senile senior. Still, it's not those words, but North Korea's threat to test a hydrogen bomb over the Pacific that's raising alarm bells. All of our military options, as the president has said, is on the table. So far, North Korea has conducted all of its nuclear tests in underground tunnels. And the last time a nuclear weapon was tested in the Earth's atmosphere was in 1980, when China fired a ballistic missile into a desert. Experts say if North Korea were to take such an action now, the results could be catastrophic. The North Koreans are are playing with fire here. The danger is if North Korea misfires, if they can't control the test, They kill thousands of people. If North Korea launched a bomb, Pentagon officials say under one scenario, advanced radars and satellites all over the world would detect the launch, giving the U.S. the military options to intercept it or shoot it down before any radioactive material could do harm. But there are no guarantees. The Invictus Games kick off in Toronto tomorrow, but the buzz is all about Prince Harry and his royal romance. The fifth in line to the British throne arrived in the city today, and he's drawing crowds wherever he goes. Harry is the patron of the week-long multi-sport competition for wounded and sick soldiers. The 33-year-old made numerous stops ahead of the opening ceremonies tomorrow, meeting with competitors, organizers, and supporters. I saw you melt like a (laughs) schoolgirl. You were several feet from him. What did you think? I thought it was pretty amazing. Just to actually be in the vicinity was really, really awesome. I actually moved a meeting uh, so that I could come down and watch him. Productivity took a nosedive this morning. I was wishing Megan had been here, though, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so far, there's no sign of actress Megan Markle, who is, of course, Harry's girlfriend. There's speculation they will appear as a couple at the games, and media from around the world have descended on the city looking for the money shot. In Health Matters tonight, mental illness and substance abuse, of course, are a region-wide problem. And the North Shore is getting some desperately needed help. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the Foundry North Shore is an evolution in health care, bringing together more than 15 programs and services for youth all under one roof. Growing up can be a struggle, more for some than others. When I was 13 years old, I started to have feelings of sadness, hopelessness. Uh, I had suicidal thoughts. Like 20% of youths, Ivana was struggling with mental health issues. I didn't know how to cope. I was turning to self-harm and I was, uh, I was drinking with friends. I was binge drinking. I wasn't being responsible and it was because I didn't care about the consequences because at the time I, I didn't value my life. In time, she summoned up the courage to seek help, but the wait was long. And when it came, she was shuffled from place to place, expert to expert. It's hard to go from one place and get a little card that says your next appointment, we recommend you go 
down the street to another office. It's very hard to walk into a second office. It's hard to tell your story over again. Which leads us to today. Yay! Yay. The Foundry North Shore in North Vancouver, one of five integrated centres in BC serving young people dealing with mental health and substance abuse issues, brings 15 existing programs together under one roof. Kids have just one place that they can start their journey and we can link them with whatever services they need from this site. The walk-in centre offers the timely services of general practitioners, nurses, occupational therapists, peer counsellors and psychiatrists. So we offer a consultation on a more expedient basis than what could be expected in uh, the community at large right now. Since she first sought help six years ago, Ivana has done well in spite of the delays. Today, she's a peer counsellor with a personal appreciation for what the Foundry has to offer. You're, you're losing young people in the time that it takes to wait, which is why having something that's so accessible and so fast and so easy is so important so that we don't lose young people either to the system or... Uh, you know, losing their life. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, Vancouver is often considered to be the hub of development, but you should see what's happening over here in North Vancouver. The shipyards have become a North Shore hotspot with several condo buildings popping up and big plans for the promenade. We'll go for a walk with Squire Barnes coming up. But first, you might be used to seeing raccoons in your yard, but this one popped up in a very unusual place. The story behind the picture, coming up. A different kind of ride-along for this raccoon, coming up right after weather with Christy. <laughs> well, we heard earlier how it was a super dry summer in Metro Vancouver, starting off that way on the first day of fall, too, but a little crisp in the air right now, Christy. That's exactly right, but it really was a pleasant day for the first day of fall. Not full day, but uh, as we transition into fall. Hey, I wanted to mention, Laura Lonsdale, they call it Lolo, has really been transformed in the last uh, couple of years since I've lived here, and a huge transformation. Part of it is because of all the restaurants that now line Lower Lonsdale, but also the North Shore uh, Spirit Trail, which runs all the way from West Vancouver to Deep Cove once it's done. But of course, the night market is a huge component of that as well. So we'll be talking to the in a second but yeah very very dry let's check out the numbers in the interior so we tallied the numbers for the month of june july and august Kelowna only reported 7.3 millimeters of rain that is the driest summer on record Kamloops as well the driest cranbrook the driest vernon you're included in that as well and williams lake came as a second driest so incredible numbers now see that big ridge that uh um uh, bubble of uh, from the jet stream riding up and over the province. Well, in the summer, that really went north and, and just blew past all the systems past the province. But today, we're seeing it target the north coast. So the north coast is going to get hit. And then some cloud and showers trail down the jet stream into the province. And that's what we'll see right now, or we are seeing right now. And what we'll see through the weekend is some high-level cloud, a chance of a sprinkle through the weekend. But really, it's the north coast that will get all of the moisture. So interior regions like Prince George will see um, dry conditions, a chance of a shower, but really not much. Mainly cloudy all across the south coast or a southern BC region. Uh, terrific temperatures, a really nice start to fall, that's for sure.
more. And for the south coast, there is a chance of showers in the morning north of Victoria, so in areas from Nanaimo and across uh, the Sunshine Coast, but otherwise dry across the region. Happy anniversary to Alice and Ken Haddo, uh, celebrating 70 years. Rose and Joe Stadler and Lillian and Bill Beck as well, celebrating 72 years together. I am here now with uh, Ingrid Doerr, and she is the founder of the North Shore Night Market. Uh, congratulations to you, because this has been running for seven years, and you're now getting close to 10,000 people a night. Why do you think it has been so successful? We just have such a great waterfront, and the city's done such a good job of, of having such a nice waterfront. We were the first people to, to actually have our first event here. And provide so We've something. really brought people down, and it's a, such a community event. And you have so much for everyone, from food to entertainment. Yeah, we have a full family-friendly, so we have, you know, it's all ages. We've got Wicked Music, we've got a craft beer garden, everything's local. And I, I know, I mean, we had such a great summer uh, with dry weather, but, you know, sometimes it can rain, and you even have an indoor portion. We do. We have 9,300 square feet of indoor artisans. We have almost 70 different local artists inside all the time. So it's, it's pretty, it's, it's all weather. Well, I've come down many times, so uh, it, we've always enjoyed it with our family. Uh, good to know that it happens rain or shine. Uh, next weekend is actually the last weekend. We wrap up at the end of September, but you're open again for your 2018 season yeah, at the beginning of May. Yeah, we're May 5th all the way till September 20th or September 30th, I think, next year. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ingrid. Okay, you two, we'll throw it back to you now. Look right behind you, Christy, because your husband and boys are coming up. I think they're walking up right behind you. We can see oh. them on the camera right now. You see them? <laughs> they there are. they are. Finally made it down. Yeah. Good All right. stuff. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks, KG. A Colorado police officer was quick with his cell phone when he spotted some wildlife that was way out of place. Yeah, he was responding to an accident when somehow a raccoon ended up right there on his windshield. He snapped a picture and then pulled over to take two more before it wandered off. Now, the social media posting got a lot of responses, including one person who figured it was Rocket from Guardians of the Galaxy, the Trash Panda, as it was referred to in that movie. What a shot. Amazing. <laughs> a little, little bit odd. All right, an epic reunion today to tell you about in the world of fashion that brought the house down during Fashion Week in Milan. Well, for the finale of a show paying tribute to designer Gianni Versace on the 20th anniversary of his death, the curtain parts to reveal five silhouettes, and the lights come up to reveal five iconic supermodels. Recognize these ladies, former French First Lady Carla Bruni, Sarkozy, Claudia Schiffer, Naomi Campbell, Cindy Crawford, and Helena Christensen. They all walk the runway, average age 49 years old. Showing the youngsters, these girls still have it. Do they ever. Mm. Uh, all right, Squires here. Average age matters not, average height does. That's true. In when, that, in that world, world my, it's not my world. <laughs> hey, um, anyway, we'll, uh, we're going to talk about a first rounder named Jake. I know we did it earlier this week. What's going on back there? Oh, oh, no. uh, yeah. It's not Jake for Canada, it's Jake Norwinski. Robo told me right after I got drafted that he likes to play young guys and I'd be fighting for a starting spot right away. Nerwinski has given the cap speed, finesse, all in his rookie year. Also ahead, when the shipyards that we're visiting were actually shipyards. We've been enjoying the food, the popcorn especially. The oh, the kettle corn, very strong. Kettle corn was Thank really good. Kettle corn, always strong. Okay, here we go. 
The uh, Canucks who didn't get to go to China, the ones who would normally have to sit at the kids' table during team dinners, they're in Edmonton tonight. The veterans will play just after midnight our time tonight in Beijing against the Kings. The team in Edmonton includes Jake Furtanen, who has looked good in preseason, but Brock Besser's not going to play in this game tonight. Neither is Connor McDavid. So let's go to Edmonton and see what's been going on. There's the home team, and they thought they had scored first. The first goal of the game was actually Kevin Lowe's son, Keegan, but it's not a goal. Nets off the moorings. So, still 0-0. Take another look. Richard Bachman's in goal tonight. Net off the moorings. That's a no goal. Canucks do get the first one. Michael Carcone. I don't know when you're going to see him in Vancouver. Maybe never, but he scores here in a Canucks uniform, 1-0. Now it's 1-1 apparently, I'm not sure. Anyway, I'll go with that, end of first period. Uh, Vancouver Giants start their regular season tonight in Victoria. Western Hockey League starts tonight. Uh, they'll be in Langley tomorrow to play the Royals again. Now the Giants have missed the playoffs three years in a row, and that's not an easy thing to do because eight of ten teams make the playoffs. Now Vancouver had a great preseason, and because of that, they think this is a breakthrough year be very disappointed if this group doesn't get into the playoffs. I, I envisioned us being a very competitive team this year and uh, uh, we've got some great young players that have joined us this year. Uh, you know, in particular on the back end, we got some guys that can really move the puck and jump into the play and um, our goaltending has been uh, outstanding. The BC Lions need a bounce back after losing another to Calgary and what better way to bounce back than a home game tonight against Hamilton. 8 o'clock start, you still have time to get there. Ticats only two wins this year. The Lions not only should win this game, they need to win it. And they need to win it in the way they envision themselves at the start of the year. A team that owns a formidable offense. Really want us to just come out and just play like we, we've had that feeling during training camp. We all thought, man, we got a good squad and we can do something special. We haven't played like that yet, so let's just for once play like we feel we can. Now, Major League Soccer, most of the impact players are ones who have established themselves in other leagues in other countries. But just like other North American sports, you can help your team if you draft well. And the Whitecaps, they've had a few misses at the draft table and a few hits. And one of those hits is this year's first-rounder, Jake Nerwinski. Overlapping, here comes Nerwinski now. Abini, nice little ball. Jake Nerwinski picks up the chair, and it's a terrific goal! Jake Nerwinski joined the attack. Jake Nerwinski's made quite the first impression in his rookie season with the Whitecaps. He was drafted seventh overall to help shore up the Whitecaps' back line. But even the Caps have to be pleasantly surprised how well he's played. Nerwinski has all of the physical tools of today's new breed of defender. The game has changed. It's, you know, it's kind of needs attacking right backs now, attacking outside backs. That's kind of what it's, you know, come into. Guys that can run up and down the field all game long, get up on offense and track back on defense. He knew that he had, uh, you know, the potential, but uh, you know it's been down to him this season. He's done great. He's he's very coachable. You know, he listens. He wants to do well, and you know, and he works hard every day. So I mean, you know, credit to Jake for you know putting himself in this position. Nerwinski, no quarter given. Nerwinski. Nerwinski is technically a rookie, but he's got the composure and maturity of a veteran. Three and a half years of college soccer at Connecticut prepared him for the pro game, and he has hit the ground running. He's been a starter since mid-June and has been a big part of the Whitecaps' impressive run to the top of the West. He does it all. Nerwinski even speaks Spanish. It was for soccer. You know, my, my dad was like, you know, if you're going to, if you want to be a pro, you can play pro. 
you're going to come out, you know, with guys that, you know, speak Spanish, and I think that's important. So he really got me into taking Spanish as a, my language in school. Nerwinski's done everything the Whitecaps have asked of him, except score, which he's hoping will change soon. What's it going to look like? I imagine it coming off like my knee or my shin or something. I don't really care how it goes in, but, you know, the guys are messing with me saying it's about time I get a goal, so we'll see if I can get one by the end of the season. Very delay, Global Sports. Tour Championship Round 2, final tournament of the FedEx Cup playoffs. 30 players. Adam Hadwin of Abbotsford is one of them. Three under today, two under for the tournament. So he is in 18th place. Uh, Jordan Spieth came into this leading the FedEx Cup standings. Gets a long birdie on nine, but he's tied for 16th right now. So that drops in the fourth in the standings. His buddy is now on top of the standings, Justin Thomas. We'll take a look at his second shot on the par 5, 18th, right there. Hits it to about five feet, made eagle. He's tied for first at seven under par, as we said, he is the leader in the standings at the moment, but there are two rounds to go. Now I have to show you this. Jason Duffner is gonna make a short putt, but he's not gonna go pick the ball up out of the cup. Why? Because he split his pants, that's why, right? You see, there's another reason why you always have clean underwear. Not just in case you got to go to the hospital, but in case you're playing in a PGA event on television. We had to zoom in there. We had just to zoom to make in sure, just so you know. Sure. And if he was commando, we wouldn't have zoomed in. But because that he's not, we have or there would have been some sort of warning or yeah, something. Yeah, that's All right. right. Thanks, Flyer. Smooth sailing as we round up the show or end the show with a look at what this place was like before it turned into a real hot spot. We're at the shipyards in North Vancouver, of course, full of uh, food carts, people, bands, but before all of that, Squire? It was very important to the uh, war effort in World War II, so in this story, we're going to look at its present, its future, and its past, and how they all link together. Instead of just admiring Vancouver from across the water, North Vancouver decided they needed their own facelift to give the other side something to look at, too. So what you're seeing right here is an abandoned shipyard. It's being transformed into a dynamic outdoor area. It's going to become a, a hotel, restaurants, and the most important is right here is going to be an outdoor ice rink that people can skate on for free. In the summertime, it's going to be a water park. Kids can come down and play, surrounded by restaurants and cafes. It's going to be the ground zero of North Vancouver. But bringing Lower Lonsdale into the 21st century could not come without respecting its 20th century past. It's so important to remember the past. The old shipyards, the victory ships were built here, and they were launched from here. During the war years, this looked like this. Victory ships were merchant ships built in North Vancouver during World War II to help replace the ones that had been sunk by German U-boats. So there were 14,000 workers, of which about 1,000 were women too, which was really notable in terms of the war effort and how it impacted this community. My grandmother worked in the shipyards way back in the day. She was a rivet catcher. And so it's important that we respect the people that worked here and actually built the city here. That's why the actual punch cards for shipbuilders during those days has been immortalized in a sculptured piece. People came from all other parts of Canada to actually work here during the war effort and from in other countries. This shipyard is really the reason why there is a city of North Vancouver in the end. It was the industry here that attracted workers to settle in North Vancouver that really changed the whole city at that time. 
to what was really a modern city. And so it's on the shoulders of those giants of the past that a new era for North Vancouver is beginning. So we want to reflect that in the new building. So when the outdoor ice rink is built, it has to have a cover. It's going to be a recreation of the old machine shop building that was there. It's going to be really exciting. So we have to remember the past and respect and, and move forward in the future.